Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And there Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shined like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. And there appeared before them Moses and Elijah speaking with Jesus. And from the cloud, the voice said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen, listen, listen to him. And this is the very word of our God as it is recorded for us today in Matthew chapter 17. You know, as a child growing up, uh, being in church with my family uh, every Sunday, uh, on this particular Sunday, we always heard the transfiguration gospel read. And I must admit that as a kid growing up, I didn't really understand the full significance of transfiguration. I mean, I just really didn't understand the whole uh, concept of Moses and Elijah being there and the voice of God speaking from the cloud. And somebody said to me, you know, when I was little, they said, you know, the older you get, the more you will begin to understand the significance of this event. And those words proved to be true. Seemingly every year of my life, I began to understand more and more of the significance of this particular day. You know, the transfiguration really, in a sense, attempts to answer the question, not only who is Jesus, but what is his purpose for coming to this world in the first place? And the events of this particular day, most years take place exactly halfway between Christmas and Easter. So from this point on, beginning this week with Ash Wednesday, the focus for Jesus is entirely upon his journey to the cross. Jesus knows what is to come. He is preparing his disciples for his exit from this world. No doubt Jesus knew that his disciples would be traumatized by what they would see on Good Friday the arrest of Jesus, his incredible suffering, his death, his burial, and then his unexpected resurrection on Easter Sunday morning. You know, up to this point, they really, if well, they saw evidence of his miracles that he was truly God, but probably they really didn't understand the full significance of who Jesus was. And so on this day, Peter, James, and John, they see him dazzling, He see him in all of his glory as God himself. And certainly that was a moment that would forever be cemented in their minds. In fact, Peter would later write about this when he would say, you know what, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We were there with him on the mountain, on the holy mountain. We heard the voice speak from heaven. You know, that moment coupled with some more magnificent moments after his resurrection from the dead, would stay with them forever. In fact, it would transform them from wavering disciples into literally fearless apostles. And this is something that they would need in the future. As they would face tribulation, 
and all kinds of fears and doubts in their life. Now, a thought occurred to me on transfiguration. Wouldn't it be great if we had a moment, a modern day, a moment of transfiguration in each of our lives personally to impress upon us God's grace and God's glory in order to stimulate us to share His grace and His glory with other people through our worship, through our study of His Word and our witness and our work. But the fact of the matter is, I would suggest that God does give us in our lifetime moments of transfiguration. But how do we recognize them? What do these moments of transfiguration look like in your life and mine? Thought occurs to me that any happening in our life that compels us to confess simultaneously how good and how gracious God is and all of His works and all of His ways is surely a moment of transfiguration. For example, maybe it's that moment when you see God at work in your life. Maybe it's when you saw your uh, newborn child or grandchild for the very first time. That could be a transfiguration moment where you think to yourself, this is God at work. Or maybe it's when a brother or a sister comes to you, and surprise, 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 they say to you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. Or maybe it's one of those moments of holy joy when you're kneeling at the communion rail and you begin to understand that Almighty God Himself is reaching down and touching your lips with His very body and blood. You know, in confirmation class this last week, I had a couple of those transformation, transfiguration moments. Sometimes as a teacher, you wonder if anybody's listening to you. Sometimes you wonder if anybody's paying attention. So I was explaining the, the death of Jesus. Because there's always been critics who have suggested, in an attempt to deny the resurrection of Jesus, some have said that Jesus never really died on the cross. That the disciples bribed Pontius Pilate to take him down from the cross before he died, and that way they could claim that he rose again from the dead when he didn't really die. But you know, they've uh, interviewed experts from the medical field. You think about the suffering that Jesus went through, the scourging, this, this whip with literally pieces of metal or pieces of bone, 39 lashes to the back, Medical experts suggest at that time that literally it would expose one's spine, one's bones, and even one's bowels. And the tremendous blood loss from that was enough to kill some people. The carrying of the cross, and oh, that business of Jesus literally sweating drops of blood. People say, that's impossible. But actually, that's a medical phenomenon of people that are under incredible stress. Sometimes the capillaries literally break under this stress, and a person can sweat blood. And then they would take the victim and lay them on this cross with these seven-inch spikes. 
In fact, medical experts suggest that the arms would stretch six inches. In fact, those words from Psalm, the book of Psalms, which say, in every joint of my body is out of joint, and people stare and gloat at me. As I'm speaking about the incredible, there's no way that Jesus was faking on the cross. And one of the kids in confirmation class raises his hand and he says this to me. He says, you know, when you look at the picture of Jesus hanging on the cross, dying in our place, you really don't get the full picture of what he went through to pay for my sins. It's like a transfiguration moment for him and also for me. Again, when you have one of those transfiguration moments, you're compelled to say what? The Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. So on this day, Jesus, in all of his dazzling brilliance, Heavenly Father speaks from the cloud and says to the disciples, this is my son, listen to him. And Jesus is joined by these two figures from the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah. Do you ever ask yourself, why Moses? And why Elijah? Why not Abraham? Why not Adam? Why not Jacob? Why not somebody else? Think about it. Moses and Elijah are standing there talking to Jesus, and they've already experienced an exodus of their own, so to speak. In fact, the Gospel of Luke speaks about Jesus' departure. In the Greek, the word departure is the same word that we use for exodus or exit. Again, who better to speak to Jesus? Who better than someone who knows about exoduses themselves? Think about Moses' exodus with the children of Israel from slavery in Egypt. That exodus is important because it points us ahead, ultimately, to God's plan of salvation. In that first exodus, we see God in his mercy, in his grace, giving his mercy and grace to undeserving people. We see God ultimately leading them to the promised land through a spectacular exodus from slavery to freedom, one which God could only bring about. There's no way man could have brought about that exodus. First of all, God separating them from their enemies who are ready to pounce on them with that incredible cloud that separated them from their enemies. And then the very next day, parting the waters of the Red Sea. Again, only God could bring this about. This was an event that the children of Israel were to remember year after year after year. Then, of course, you have Elijah and his exodus. He's one of two people in the Bible who is transported, directly taken to heaven without dying. Moses and Elijah stand there with Jesus on this day, maybe to encourage him, maybe to say, we know what you're talking about. We know what is to come. In Jesus' death and resurrection, our sins are taken away. They are paid in full. And with this, we begin to see that the transfiguration is more than just a dazzling light display. But it reveals God's plan of salvation. 
It points us to the coming one. It points us ultimately to the life-giving exodus that is to come for all of us. Of course, then you got Peter there. I can't uh, uh, do this sermon without saying something about Peter because Peter is like all of us. Peter is dazzled. Peter uh, wants this moment to last forever. And so what does Peter do? Peter suggests that, I tell you what, I'll build three shelters and, and, and we can stay up here and we can enjoy this moment for eternity. You know, if you ever had one of those uh, moments in your life where you don't ever want it to come to an end. Maybe it's a Christmas Eve party or a Christmas Eve worship. Maybe it's the day that you got married. Maybe it's some other incredible moment in your life and you just want it to last forever. Again, Peter wants to stay there. He even suggests building structures. But it's at this point that God the Heavenly Father speaks from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And when the disciples hear this voice, what do they do? They fall on their faces and they are filled with awe and fear. You know, isn't it true that we can become so attached to the things of this world that we don't want them to end. But that same voice that spoke to Peter and the disciples, that same voice speaks to us this morning in God's Word. God says, listen to my son. Listen to him. Jesus tells Peter, James, and John, you know what? We're not staying up here on the mountain. We got work to do. You need to follow me down into the valley. You need to allow your light for Christ to shine so that others come to know him. Now, there's one last thing here about the transfiguration. It's a question we ought to ask ourselves every day. And that's this, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you prepared for your own exodus from this world? Now, I'm not talking about do you have your funeral arrangements made? I'm talking about your soul arrangements. Are you ready? You know, somebody was telling me this week that uh, on their way to church on Sunday mornings, they listen to this guy on the radio who talks about making sure that you got all your ducks in order when it comes to your financial arrangements. He said it's an interesting thing to listen to that and then come into church and listen to you talk about soul arrangements. You know, there's a lot of people who are not ready for their own exodus. You know, maybe they got their cemetery plot bought. Maybe they got all their other ducks in order. But you know what? None of us, because of our sinfulness, can make ourselves right before God. Because of our sin, we deserve God's eternal punishment for neglecting, for disrespecting, and for rejecting God. But our lesson for today is packed with the gospel. It's packed with good news. Because we can be ready for our exodus because of what Christ has done to free us from our sins. He died on the cross in your place and mine. He became our substitute. Jesus atoned for our sins and now he offers us his grace and mercy. But one last thing here. God, God's plan called not only to save us from something, but for something. Isn't it amazing that the God of all creation would stoop down 
and do this to rescue us from our sins. But not only rescue us from our sins, that he would stoop down and call us to be his disciples, his partners in kingdom work, in allowing our light to shine for others. You know, the Bible puts it this way in 2 Corinthians. He died for all of us. That those of us who now live should no longer live for ourselves, but rather we ought to live for him who lived and died and rose again for us. You see, these transfiguration moments are intended to reassure us of God's grace and his glory, and he's not finished with us yet. You know, I was going to tell you about one more transfiguration moment that I had in confirmation this last week. This doesn't happen every week in confirmation, believe me. So you've got to hang on to these moments. So we're talking about uh, prayer. Uh, and, and I asked the class, how many of you pray before you go to bed? And there were only a few hands that went up in the air. And I couldn't believe it. Maybe they just didn't want to raise their hand. But we have one young lady in our confirmation class who is new to our church. And she gets this look on her face and she says to me, I don't know what you're talking about. What is prayer? And, and so I began to explain to her a little bit about what prayer is. And so I asked the class, you know, you're going to bed at night. Last thing you need to do at the end of your day is to pray. What would you pray about? The kids came up with a lot of good answers. They would thank God for their mom and dad, their parents. Thank God for his blessings this day. Thank God for forgiveness that is theirs. And, and this young lady was just taking it all in. She's new. She's never heard this stuff before. And so at the end of class, I ask, is there anybody that wants to close with prayer? Guess what? She raises her hand. And she has this most incredible, simplistic, but powerful prayer to God. None of us could have said it better. That's a transfiguration moment. God's not finished with us yet. And God has an incredible future in store for each of you. To, make, to use you to make an eternal difference in the lives of others. So do just that as you live your life for Christ Jesus. In his name we ask it. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for those transfiguration moments in our life when we begin to see that you indeed are very God of very God, that you indeed are not only our creator but our redeemer, and that, Lord, you have called us uh, to be your disciples wherever and wherever we find ourselves in whatever situation. So we pray for your Holy Spirit uh, to give us that vision and give us the words uh, to speak in those situations. And, and also we pray, Lord, for your guidance and direction as, as we live our daily life to your honor and to your glory. We ask these things. And all of God's people said, Amen.